couple things that you might not know about AJ is AJ is a fire preacher. And he's carrying a word. I can feel it. Can you feel it? He's carrying a word for us tonight. And the other thing you might not know about AJ is he's a really remarkable leader. The ministries he leads flourish. And so that deserves a lot of honor. It's hard to lead ministries in the church. And so, AJ, we just honor you for the leader you are. Love you. He's also wearing a new shirt he's really excited about preaching in. I'm trying to be a big boy and wear polo shirts. <laughs> but this is the kind of polos I'm going to wear. You want to know what today is? Today's the day that the Lord has made. And so we rejoice and be glad. We need to think about that more, don't we? That every single day, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I was sick all week. If I look skinny, it's because I was sick. <laughs> Six days of fun, let me tell you. And uh, I don't like being sick, like no one likes being sick, but I particularly don't like it because I'm so extroverted and I have to stay home alone. It's no fun. And I was like, oh, man, this stinks. And I literally just heard the whisper of the Lord say, AJ, today is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. I'll tell you what, I was sick for six days, seven days, and I encountered God every single day because he made it. Amen? All right. Let's close your eyes, bow your heads, and uh, yeah, we're going to close our eyes and bow our heads for the reading of today's scripture. Second Chronicles seven fourteen through 16. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened, and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Listen to this. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Lord Jesus, we come together to get today in saying, like, would you consecrate this house, God? Would you tune your ear? Would you bend your ear from heaven to this house and hear our prayers? Would you bend your ear to us today, God, when we say, Here, here's our heart, we mean it. When we say we want to see your glory, God, we mean it. We want more of you, Jesus. And so I just thank you for your promises, God. When I read this, I just, I just want to thank you for your promises, God, that you say if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that you will heal our land. I thank you that that is a promise from heaven. I thank you that you listen. You don't have to listen, but you choose to. And so we just come and we adore you, Jesus. And I just ask that you bless this sermon and that you bless us as we leave this place and encounter you all the rest of the day. Amen? I'm in a good mood. So over the last, uh, last few weeks, we have been talking about revival. How many of you have been loving that? 
It's been so fun. And here's the deal. The reason we've been talking about revival so much in this house is because we believe that God, there is vision over this house, that we will be a place where God chooses to mark us and we will be a people of revival. We, the reason we spend time talking about it, spend time uh, really wrestling with how, what does it look like for us to become a people of revival, because that is the vision that is for this house. That's, that's what we believe that God has called us to as a church and community is to be a people who steward revival. And so really, when we're talking about revival, and as we've been talking about revival the few weeks, what we're really talking about is the vision that God has for this house. What we're really talking about and wrestling with is like, is where is God pointing us? Where is he leading us? And essentially, once we know where we're going, we got to think about how we're going to get there. Right, because we're not just going to arrive at a revival someday. Right, we're not just going to one day blink and whoa, all of a sudden revival has come. No, no, I think that's like a really poor understanding of revival because God is a God of relationship and he wants to use me and you to bring about revival. And so it's not just going to, revival isn't just this thing that someday it's going to come and the glory of God's going to come and all of a sudden we're going to be changed and revival is here. I believe what's going to happen is it's going to be a group of people catching the vision of this house and all of us, little fires starting in all of us so that when we gather, it's an absolute bonfire where the glory of God comes. Amen. And so what we read throughout, wow, that's good. Amen. Whew. That fires me up. I said it, and I'm like, dang, I'm just getting fired up thinking about it. It's the intro. I mean, yeah. (laughs) But here's the deal. You ready? Here's the deal with revival. And here's the deal with vision. What we see throughout Scripture is that God appoints a person or a, a, a group of leaders that he gives vision to. Right? And in our church and in this house, it's Jordan and the leadership team. That God has given a vision, and He has given a vision of revival, of, of holistic transformation, where we are a people of wholeness, where our families are healthy, healthy. It's not just spiritual revival, it's actually a revival where holistic change is gonna happen from the inside out to where it affects everything. Not just seeing healings and miracles and signs and wonders, but also having the healthiest marriages that anyone's ever seen, and the healthiest families that anyone's ever seen. Right? That's the vision. And so here's the thing. God has given Jordan and the, and the board and the elder team this vision, and, and it's powerful and it's awesome. But here's the deal. Vision doesn't become powerful until it becomes a shared vision. Right? Vision without a people embodying it is simply a noble idea. Because Jordan can have this vision, but if we don't choose to submit to it, it literally d- doesn't mean anything. Right, Moses had a vision of delivering the people from from Egypt and into the promised land. That vision didn't become powerful until people started walking to the promised land. Nehemiah had a vision of building a wall around Jerusalem that hasn't been built for 70 years. And it's a great idea, but it, it was only a great idea. And then it became a reality when people started picking up their hammers. Right, and so with vision comes great stewardship and responsibility. 
And we as a community and as a church have to choose, are we going to submit to this vision that may not be our own, but am I going to so believe that this is what God is speaking that I'm going to submit to it and I'm going to be a person who stewards revival? Amen? That fires me up. And so here's the deal. This is the difference between a church that just gathers and a people movement. A church that gathers and just listens to preachers preach and worship bands sing is awesome and we love it and that's totally not what we feel God has called us to be. <laughs> you know? We actually believe that God has appointed leaders in this church to give us vision that we can come under, that we actually as a church embody. There is no interest in this being a place where people gather to hear good sermons and good worship. There is that, that we will get so bored. <laughs> the vision over this house is a people movement. And it takes a lot of humility. And it takes us saying, you know, I may not see that, I may not have that vision, but I'm going to trust my leaders. And I'm going to come under the authority of this house, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me feel, because we all like being our own boss. And I'm gonna come under because I believe in God and I believe that he wants to bring holistic transformation to our city. That's the difference between a people movement and a church that gathers. Which one do we want to be? A people movement. And so really, you know, I've never preached a three-point sermon in my life. Today will be the first. <laughs> I usually like preaching, telling stories. Um, but I, I really, I felt like I was praying this week and I said, God, like I've learned so much in this church. I've learned so much. Um, by submitting to a vision that wasn't my own. And I actually can say that Jordan has had this vision for revival and for holistic transformation. And it wasn't my vision for my life, but I have come under it. And I have watched that it's radically changed everything about me. And so I asked the Lord, like, God, what do you want to say? Because we have to take this vision, like, seriously. You know, like, there is great responsibility with a vision like this. There's, there's very important stewardship that has to take place. And so we're going to talk about today, what does it look like for us to be a people who steward this revival? I felt like the Lord gave, a, gave me three things for us as a church and a community on how we're actually going to steward this thing long term, because we're not just going to arrive there. We're not just going to arrive there. And so let's act, we have to actively be thinking. It's not just Jordan and the staff and the board that gets to think about the vision. Now our responsibility as members of this family is what do I get to do? How does this become a shared vision? How, how do I fit in here? Because each and every one of us, each and every one of us plays a vital role in this. And I promise you every staff person and every board member has no interest in the revival being about us. End of story, period. We want to see a people movement. It's no, we don't want people to come to listen to good sermons and good worship. We want the streets to be filled with God's glory. Amen? So the first thing, this is fun, three points. They're even kind of cheesy. 
uh, you know, I almost did an acronym, and I'm like, I can't do it. I, I, oh, I'm not that creative. I, God bless acronyms. God bless them. They're so helpful for some people, but for me, I'm like, what? <laughs> did you think of the word first or all the points first? Or how the heck did that happen? <laughs> So the first thing, and this is so simple, but it's so darn good. The first thing for us to be a people to steward this vision is we actually have to believe it. We actually have to be a people who believe, regardless of what our current situation is. Regardless of what we, of what we look like corporately right now, and regardless of where we're at in our individual lives, we have to be a people that can see through it and see where we're going. And we have to believe it because if we don't believe it, the battle has been won, right? If we don't believe that God actually wants to do super abundantly more than we could have ever asked or imagined in our life, if we don't believe that, we will never see revival. And here's the, I want to help you here because a lot of people get uncomfortable with the word revival and I get it. I think it's uncomfortable too. But the only reason it's uncomfortable is because the standard for what church is supposed to look like in the world that we've grown up in is really low. Because simply believing in Jesus is believing in revival. <laughs> if you believe in Jesus, you believe in revival because if you believe in Jesus, you believe that when you meet him, absolutely everything in your life changes and nothing about you is the same. Your heart changes, the way you speak changes, the way your mind changes, the way you have faith changes. Everything changes if you believe in Jesus. And so therefore, you believe in revival. You may not know it, but you do. Because when you meet Jesus, he revives everything about you. And so you do believe in revival. And just because the standard for church in America is lukewarm doesn't mean that we, have to, that we get to have that perspective as well. We don't get to have a vision of, of what, to the level of what we've experienced. Our vision should be something so much more than what we've experienced because that's, how, because that's what the word of God says. And here's the deal. We had to create the word revival. Revival, the word revival is not in the Bible. And you want to, we had to create that word, that word because somewhere in church history, we screwed it up. <laughs> right? We politicized faith. Sin began growing rampant. And we had to start changing because the standard of what we read in the books of Acts is revival. Like, that is what it means. Like, it wasn't like, oh, let me just, God wasn't like, oh, let me just start with an outpouring and then forget about it. Humans got in the way. And so let's not let our level of what we've experienced dictate our belief and what we believe that God wants to do in our church. Hebrews 11 says that faith, belief, this is what pleases God. And so I know this is, it's, you cannot, in fact, you cannot please God without faith. And so I know this is so simple, but the truth is, this is where the enemy wants to come in and attack you. Because he knows if he can steal your belief and your faith that God wants to do something powerful in your life, he knows if he can get you there, revival won't happen. 
And I don't really like talking about the devil, to be frank with you. I don't like giving him the time of day. But I, I, we have to be honest. Like, there is a battle. It has been won. And the devil wants to do everything he can to make you think otherwise. And so what the enemy loves to do is he loves to come in and he loves to disqualify you. He loves to say that you're never going to be like Pastor Jordan. You're never going to be like Megan. You're never going to be like this. You know, you're just going to be like every other church. You know, this is going to fail. This is emotionalism. You know what? Just, just, hey, go to the other church down the street or just mellow out on your faith a little bit because you're too sinful. Nothing in your life is actually working. So just back off. This is what we see in Nehemiah. Nehemiah gathers all the people of Israel and they begin building the wall. Tobiah and Sambalat come by and they start mocking the people of Israel as they're building the wall saying, even if a fox jumps on that, on that wall, it's going to come crumbling down. Stupid. Stupid attacks from the enemy. And sometimes we simply have to realize that we are in a battle. When life is hard and we're not feeling great about ourselves, instead of overcomplicating everything, just think, I, there's a war going on. And I'm not going to give in to the enemy who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy my life. I'm going to submit to who God says I am, and I'm going to listen to him, and I'm going to believe, regardless of where I'm at right now, regardless of what I'm battling, regardless of what I'm going through, I'm going to believe that he it has set me free, and I'm going to learn how to walk in it. Because he has set you free, and it's now your job to figure out for you what does it look like to walk in freedom. Amen? Okay. Yep, the battle's been won. <laughs> Sometimes I just go, I get too passionate. But is it okay? That makes sense? We want to be, you know, when we say, when we sing songs like, I just want to move your heart, it's all I want to do. A lot of that is us just coming to minister to him and to sing to him. But, but it's also just being a people of faith and belief. Like sometimes I think the Lord's just like, inspire me with what you think about me. I think that moves him when we begin to just start dreaming with God about all the crazy, miraculous, wonderful, abundant things that he wants to do through our life. Do we spend time thinking about that? Do we spend time thinking about what God wants to do in our lives? Or do we just take every day, one day at a time? I honestly think it's really important. If you want to grow in greater belief and in greater faith, I want you, I challenge you. I didn't even think about this, but I challenge you as you leave this place, I want you to think about all the amazing things that God wants to do in your life. Think about what is super abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine mean. What does that look like? And do I actually believe it? I don't think we realize how much we've settled because of our, the level of our experience has been so minimal that we've settled in our dreaming. Heck no. There's big dreams over this house, people. There's big dreams for us corporately, and if there's big dreams for us corporately, there's big dreams for every single person in this room. And it's not prosperity it's holistic transformation, which is simply believing in Jesus because that's what he's in the business of doing. Amen? Number two. <laughs> we, 
We got to be a people who catch the vision. How many of you know there's some things that are taught and some things that are caught, right? How How many, I'm actually curious with this. How many of you learn more by catching things? You just hang around people and you just start catching it? Okay, yeah, me too. And how many of you, like, learn more by just reading? (laughs) Bless you. You're amazing. I love you. It's awesome. I'm more of a catching it guy, you know? (laughs) we got to be a people who catch it. Here's the deal. There are people in this church who already embody so much of what this vision is. There are people in this church, come and get emotional who already model healthy family, who already model themselves becoming a house of prayer. There are already people in this church and in this house of great faith. And we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to look at people who are bigger than us. We have an opportunity to submit ourselves to them as learner. Or compare and say, I'm just never going to be like that person. But how you catch the vision of this church is by getting around people who already embody it. How many of you know when you hang out with someone for a few days in a row, you begin to use their same lingo? I, I, you know, this is honest. I have really weird lingo. Like I say, oh, that's buggy. That's cool. That's whatever. And and, I, and sometimes I just create these words in the slang because I want to see if other people catch up on it. And it's crazy. Like, literally, the whole worship team's now, that's buggy. <laughs> like, you don't even know what that means. It's a fishing term. But they caught it. Right? And this, this is something that is, that is powerful. And, and I believe the reason uh, we have to begin as a church. Here's the deal. The only way for us to grow in our faith is by submitting to people who are bigger than us. Because when we submit to others as learner and say, you know what, I don't know what healthy family looks like or I don't know how to pray and so I'm going to submit myself and, and, and posture myself as a learner, what that creates in me is humility and humility is the key to spiritual growth. First Peter says this, this is such a good word. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The way to grow spiritually is to submit to people who are bigger than you. And actually in submitting to your elders and those who are above you in the spirit realm is actually, what does the scripture say? Therefore, that is you humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. Because when you submit yourself to people who are bigger than you in the spirit, what you're doing is you're jumping into their testimony. And the word testimony in Hebrew comes from the root word of do it again. 
And so when you go to somebody, this is so practical, you guys, but when you go to somebody who is further along than you in prayer or in healthy family or is a better husband or wife than you are, and you submit yourself to them and you say, teach me, you are actually stepping into their story. And God is fashioning humility in you. And that is how you are going to grow. So stop comparing Stop looking at people bigger than you and saying, oh, I'm just never going to be like them. That's just a click and that's just this. No, be inspired because people who are bigger than you are just a window for you to see yourself if you just choose to get low and humble yourselves and say, let me learn from you. We need mentors in our lives, you guys. If you don't have people in your life that are further along than you, that are pouring into you, you will not grow. And you don't need to have a mentor, one mentor for everything. If you find somebody and you see somebody who's better at prayer than you, go say, teach me how to pray. If you have a, have a mentor for, for prayer and for Bible reading and for your marriage and all these things you're eating, because that's where your breakthrough's gonna come. That's where it's gonna come when you position yourself as learner and say, teach me, I don't know how. We have to get in touch with our need and not stay stuck, but be inspired by people who are walking in the more of God. Like, honestly, I, I don't, say stuff like this often, but like this is one thing in my life I know I do well because I experienced so much pain in my life that I would look, when you get in touch with your need and when you get in touch with your pain and realize how broken you are and realize how needy you are and look at people who are bigger than you, you stop comparing yourself and you say, I want what they have. Because I don't know what healthy family looks like. So Justin, teach me what healthy family looks like. I don't know how to pray. Jordan, teach me. We need to get in touch with our needs. And then find people because we're made for relationship. So many people just, and look, I think it's beautiful to get in the closet and pray with God. Don't hear what I'm not saying. That is beautiful, but that is powerful. But I think we're so scared to get vulnerable and submit ourselves to others that it leads to a stalemate in our spiritual growth. Because I can tell you, I've learned more in my walk with Jesus through relationship than I have just alone in the closet. Amen? I'll tell you a story. Um... Yeah, I will tell you a story. <laughs> what story am I going to tell? I have like three in my head. When I moved here, um, it was one of the first weeks in the office, and we're trying to figure out what my role is going to be at the church. And I was talking to Jordan, and, and Jordan looked at me, and he said, hey, like, I want you to, to uh, run the prayer house here because we're going to be a, a house of prayer and we really need somebody to kind of overlook the prayer house and, and run that and do the prayer meetings and all that stuff. And I, and I looked at him, this is kind of embarrassing, but just going to be honest with you, and I essentially came up with all these excuses to not do that because I didn't feel like prayer was my thing. 
I'm like, you know, you're kind of the prayer mystic monk weirdo. That's like kind of, kind of your thing. I like, you know, hanging out with Jesus inside of people rather than, know what I'm saying? Like extrovert. George can get just locked away in a closet for hours and be fine. I don't work well like that <laughs> at all, at all. And I came up with all these excuses to not do this. And, and anyways, uh, fast forward a few months and Jordan is just casting vision over and over again about he, how, how he longs for this to be a house of prayer, how he longs for our church. He just beat the prayer drum over and over and over again, how he just longs. And, and I remember being so convicted because I was like, that's the vision for this church. And I, I said no to it. I blatantly said no to it. And so I, and I remember I was driving down Fairview and I heard the Lord speak to me and he said, AJ, your church has gotten as far as it can on the prayers of its pastor. And if the church doesn't choose to humble itself and embody and um, it essentially embody this vision, we have gone as far as we can go. And I confessed, I said, God, I, will, I embrace this. This is uncomfortable for me. I don't really know how to lead prayer meetings you know I'm good at the pastoral meeting with people's stuff but but the just sitting there and singing and ministering to you I, it's not really my thing and he goes I want you to learn and so you can ask Jordan I literally just I came to every single prayer set I'm on staff here associate pastor being honest with you and I said, I came to every single prayer set, and I just asked Jordan question after question after question after question after question. And I look a year later, and I'm like, this is the thing I love most in life is prayer meetings. Like, I don't, I, and, and I, in fact, I watched God use me in it. And I didn't do anything but just submit myself to the vision and come low before my leader and said, will you teach me? We need more of that, you guys. When you see people in your revival group, your revival group leaders are incredible. Let me tell you, they are, they are incredible. There are people in this church who embody so much of the kingdom of God. So much. And I just believe God is calling us as a people to submit to one another. Every room I walk in, I am a leader and a learner. Every room we walk in, you are a leader and a learner. And if you ever stop learning, you will stop growing. Amen. Here's the deal. This is really practical. I know this is like all, sounds all spiritual, but you want to know what this, sound, this, this practically looks like? Ask someone in your revival group to coffee and say, I notice you're really good at praying. Can you, can you help me? Can we pray together? Or you see a marriage that you're really inspired by. <laughs> hey, can you help me? My marriage isn't good right now. Like, I need help, and I'm really inspired by your marriage. How do you treat your wife that way? I don't know. And husbands, whenever your wife gives you a nudge and say, hey, you should meet with that guy. He treats his wife, you know. You should do it. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, 
when I look, when I, for me, and I'm just using really practical stories because this is really practical, right? But when I, my, my last boss at my last church, he was like the marriage guru, this homie like helped me so much. I was such a mess as a husband and he helped me so much. And my biggest fear in moving here was like, God, who is gonna help me? Cause like, I don't know how I would have navigated marriage without Roger. I don't, he taught me so much. I, I literally said, God, you need to send me another Roger. You need to send me somebody that's going to help me love my wife better because it wasn't modeled for me. So I, even though I'm like, I love Jesus with all of my heart, I need to know how to be a good husband. I want to. I want to learn. I want to grow. <laughs> and so literally, second week I was here, I didn't even know Justin Ross, but everyone said he's the healthy family guy. Knock, knock, knock. Justin, teach me. Teach me. I want to love my wife better. It's practical, you guys. I also encourage you, if you want to grow in prayer, come to prayer sets, and as you walk here into these rooms, just say, Holy Spirit, teach me how to pray. He is your teacher. Come and observe. I don't care. Just learn. Position yourself as a learner because when you position yourself as a learner, it's the posture of humility, and that is a heart that God can work with. Amen. Last thing, read books. Read books on revival. If you, if you stop Getting, if, you, if your hunger stops, here's the deal. You want to know how you get hungry in the kingdom? Everyone always asks that question. How do you get hungry? You keep eating. In the world, when you eat, you get full. In the kingdom of God, you want to get hungry? You keep eating. You keep feasting. You keep reading the word because it just makes something come alive inside of you. You just keep worshiping. You just keep reading. You keep looking up on revival. I literally I called George this morning. I, I was looking up revivals. I was listening to the sermon this week, and, and some guy mentioned this, this 1859 called the Forgotten Revival, and, and I've never heard of it, and it's this powerful revival of businessmen coming together at, uh, in 1859 businessmen it's the layman's person revival it started with one dude praying at the noon hour and six months later a million people are saved and I just was feasting myself on it I called John I called these people I said have you read this because it makes me hungry I want to see it so keep eating Keep eating. Yeah, does everyone here have a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, come to the back. We're going to get you a Bible. Everyone has a phone. Look, at, look up stories of revival. Allow it to light your heart on fire. When you, as soon as you feel apathy coming, resist it and read about revival because that is what God has promised us. I'm not going to change my thinking. And allow lukewarm Christianity to become my standard. Whenever I feel lukewarm, it is a signal and a sign that I need to submit myself to other people and I need to get hungry and read the word of God and read about revivals and read about all the things that God wants to do in my life. Shabba Baba. Amen. I was sick and pent up in bed. <laughs> Thirdly, 
Thirdly, we have to embrace the season that God has us in. This is probably the most important one. Well, no belief is because without belief, you can't do anything, but they're all important. God gave them to me. (laughs) But we have to embrace the season that the Lord has us in. We have to embrace it as a church. Corporately, we have to discern what is God doing in our church as a whole right now. And we also have to embrace the season that the Lord has us in individually. If you're in a season of promise, embrace it. If you're in a season of desert, embrace it. If you're in a season of wilderness, embrace it. Because the worst thing you can do is avoid the season that God has you in. Because what God's trying to do in your season right now is he's trying to mold you, shape you into his likeness. And we need you to be fully you. Like the way this revival is going to happen is if we all embody it, not just the leaders, all of us. Because we're all leaders in some capacity somewhere. And so we have to embrace the season. And, and this is the scripture that the Lord gave me for this. It's Deuteronomy 8. And Moses is talking to the people of Israel, um, the, the future generation of Israel, right? So his generation did not go into the promised land, but he is, this scripture is him preaching to the people who will go to the promised land. And this is what he says to them. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Moses is looking at this future generation that is heading into the promised land and what does he say to them? Remember what I did in the wilderness. He didn't say this as a threat. He did not say, remember, because if you disobey, you're going to get sent back out. He said, remember what I taught you in the wilderness, because it was in the wilderness where they learned that they do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It was in the wilderness that they learned humility. It was in the wilderness where they learned dependence on God and each other. It was in the wilderness where they learned how to be hungry and thirsty. The wilderness. Embrace it. Embrace your wilderness and your desert season. And and if you've already gone through it, remember it. Because what God taught you there is vital. 
Because what you learn in the wilderness and that what you learn in the, the desert is it actually isn't about the promise. It's not about the promised land. It's about the, the one who gave me the promise. In the desert and in the wilderness, you get to know God so well. You get to commune with him so powerfully that you realize your hope is not in the promise. Your hope is in the one that gave the promise. So we have to embrace that because that's a humility. But you guys, it's so easy for us, especially in this modern world that we live in. It's so easy that when we feel led into the wilderness in this category, that we just focus on all the prosperity and the good things that are going on here because we want to avoid pain. It's so easy in our culture to numb out. It's so easy in our culture. As soon as we don't have success spiritually, I'm just going to drive all my focus to my business that's thriving. No, we have to embrace, embrace, embrace what God's doing in us. Amen. And I believe if we do these things, we will see revival. I fundamentally believe it. I believe that if we do these things, if we embrace the season that God has us with, has us in, if we submit to people who are bigger than us and allow them to inspire us and adamantly oppose comparison and all posture, posture ourselves as learners. Here's the deal, millennials. There's a lot of millennials in this church. We have so much to learn from the generation that's above us. We have so much to learn. And our stage is filled with a lot of millennials a lot of time, but there are people in this church with wealth of knowledge that is far beyond what we could have experienced. And I believe what's going to bring this beautiful multi-generational expression in this church is by us submitting ourselves and not thinking that we have everything figured out because we don't. Amen. All right, for uh, your homework. <laughs> yeah, you have homework. Because <laughs> I, I feel like, right, we can have a response time in prayer, and it's great, but here's the deal. Like, I want you to go home, and, and part of embodying this vision is, I believe, processing this message and saying, God, where do I need to grow? And so I have three journaling questions that after I pray, Liberty's gonna put them up on the screen. And I want everyone, I, I seri I'm dead serious. I believe I, God spoke to me. I never do that. I just wanna pray for people and have a powerful ministry time. But I felt like the Lord said, I wanna meet my church. I wanna meet the people in this church in their secret place this week. And so I want you to take a picture or write down the journaling questions. And I ask that tonight or tomorrow morning that you spend time with God journaling and saying, God, and make a commitment to yourself to embody revival, to be a man and a woman who submit to the leadership in this church, to see revival, holistic transformation of lives. This is a very, this is serious business. Amen. All right. Will you stand? We'll pray and then we'll get out of here. Today is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. And so, Jesus, we as a church, we come and we just say that we love you and, and we thank you, God, that you have given vision of promise to this house. 
We thank you for the vision of holistic transformation of lives that is resting on this house. I thank you, God, for the creativity that is going to explode from this house. Kingdom creativity that's going to change people's lives. I thank you, God, for all the healthy families and healthy marriages that are going to happen because of the promise that is on this house. I thank you, God, for the promise of of worship and healing and of supernatural miracles that are so beyond what we could have ever imagined. I thank you that you're going to do them in this house, God. And we as a church and as a people just look at you and say, yes. Let's just all loud right now say, yes. Yes, God. Yes, God. Just say yes. Express it however you want. Yes, God. Yes to the vision. Yes to stewarding the season that God has us in. Yes to submitting ourselves to one another. Just out loud, let's say, I will not compare. I will submit myself and become a learner. And when all odds are against me, I will choose to believe in the resurrected king. So Jesus, we just love you, we praise you, and we honor you. Wow. Whoo! And we just say that we are so excited to see revival whoa, revivalistic expression in this house. Thank you that this is not emotionalism. And we confess, and I just feel like there's even a place for us to confess if we have allowed our belief to diminish because of what we've experienced. And we just confess it to you right now and say, God, we are hungry for more. We are hungry for more. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, guys. Well, we're going to have the prayer team come up. And uh, if you need, why don't we do this? If you need prayer for healing in your bodies, if you just need some encouragement or if anything in the, wor- in the sermon today or worship happened in you, I just encourage you to come up and receive prayer. And I believe the only way we're going to start seeing miracles of healing in this house is if we start praying for them. So if you're sick, you need some prayer, come on up. Other than, other than that, you are dismissed and have a blessed week. Thank you.